You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hello and welcome in to the Fog.net podcast. My name is Michael Swain, the Kansas beat writer for 24-7 Sports. Joined again on this lovely Sunday morning in Kansas, the Jayhawks are 4-0 after a 35-27 win over Duke. And as we do every Sunday, I'm joined by Kevin Flaherty. Kevin, the start of your Sunday. It sounds like it was a long weekend for you, but <laughs> how your Sunday been so far? Uh, it's been great. Yeah, I uh, I went uh, on a short vacation to Austin, actually wound up catching the uh, – the game at the uh, at the Austin airport uh, yesterday, and so uh, it was uh, it was a long long week, but a but a good week, and uh, and did get a chance to to see the Jayhawks play and and see them up that perfect record to something we haven't seen in you know since two thousand nine, since Mark Mangino's final season as coach. That's that's crazy to think about. It really is, and I think overall, I mean. You just look at KU, and it continues to be an impressive performance over impressive performance. But before we dive into the game, I really want to start with the fans and the atmosphere at Memorial Stadium on Saturday because, you know, I don't think we really talked about it last week, what maybe the fan turnout would look like for this Duke game. I know we talked about it after the Tennessee Tech game of, hey, what would it have to look like for there to be a big turnout? But First sellout since 2019, and only the second sellout since that 2009 season. I think you look at the fans showing out and how impressive that was. From my perspective, walking on the sideline pregame, doing some stuff recruiting wise, trying to get photos of guys, just chatting up, you know, whatever. It was hard to move around, and you compare that to, to week one when the sideline was pretty bare. Whether that be with fans who get kind of those sideline experience, whether it be with recruits. Um, K only had three visitors on that first Friday game, obviously playing on a Friday makes it more challenging, but this time, you know, upwards of 60, 70 recruits were there and and their families. And it makes for kind of a a wild atmosphere. And even though maybe it's a little bit of a a little slower arriving crowd, I think, you know, getting used to what it's like having a packed house was different, but I mean, man, the, the crowd and the experience was super cool. And I think from my perspective too, it's pretty cool for guys like Sam Burt, Earl Bostic, you know, guys that were around in 2019 for that K-State game, but that one was different. That was 30-ish percent probably K-State fans. This was 99.999% Kansas fans. So a really cool atmosphere. For you, I guess, watching it in the airport, maybe it looked a little different, but how much crowd shots did they even show? Like, I don't get to watch the TV broadcast that much when I'm up in the press box. So I guess, do they do much showing of the crowd? Because – I thought it was really impressive that it was basically full for almost the entire game. 
Yeah, and that that was something that they showed a lot. I'm thinking about, you know, Jalen Daniels' last little touchdown run where he kind of runs up and flexes to the crowd or whatever. And and you could see, you know, not just Jalen, but like Jalen doing that into this, you know, Mm -hmm. massive of Jayhawk fans and everything. And for somebody, I think a lot of times when it comes to recruiting, people assume – fans assume that that these players have been paying attention to college football as long as they have. And, and in some cases that's true, but in a lot of other cases, as you know, Michael, they started looking at these colleges and started looking at college football and everything. When they started getting recruited by that's these cool. colleges, they didn't really look at it as much before that. And so for somebody who was flipping on the TV for the first time, you know, whether it was, a 2025 Kansas player or, you know, a kid from Texas who's in eighth grade or whatever. And that's their first experience with Kansas football. I mean, it it was pretty impressive to see, even if you weren't there, the stuff you saw on TV, you know, looked like, Oh, this, this is a big time atmosphere. Everybody waving the weed together and, and all of those different things. So it, it was, it was pretty cool to see from that end too. Yeah. And I, I posted a video on Twitter from the press box, at least where you kind of see from the, the, the East stand, I want to say, where you can kind of see how packed it was and everyone's kind of doing like the wave and the wheat stuff. I, I think things like that are really cool. And to get guys, you know, to get a little recruiting talk out of the way, I guess, on the front end, right? Like Logan Brantley's committed. And for him, that was his first time getting to see a game. And I think it's a pretty good way to, you know, if you're going to try and get a kid locked in, right, into coming to Kansas, right? He's already committed. He's done the official visit. He's done all that stuff. If you want to kind of seal it, that is the type of atmosphere you show them. And I know Tony Terry, I, I believe, was there too, another commit. And I think atmospheres like that really do play a big role. And obviously we talked about B.J. Kennedy before, but he was back again, right, the number one player in 2024. He was there for that first Friday game, got to see the the biggest home opener crowd since 2013, and then now he gets to see the biggest crowd since 2019, but really the biggest KU-centered crowd since 2009 when I don't even want to do the math of how old BJ was when that happened. <laughs> but real quick, transitioning to some of the wins, because I think this is a notable time now for Kansas. Obviously sure. we talked about them being 4-0 for the first time since 2009. Cody Nagel, who covers Oklahoma State for the network, sent me this tweet of his. Um, really interesting. The number of games to reach six wins at Kansas. Lance Leipold, 16. Mark Mangino, 17. Yep. Pretty wild. And now KU is also five and two in its last seven. So I think overall, right, you're seeing winning become kind of a part of the culture here as this season gets going. And I think that the belief is something that the coaching staff has talked about getting these players to believe that, Hey, if something goes wrong, it's not all, oh, here we go again. And we've seen this so many times this year where they've just been so resilient and I think you're starting to see maybe some of that that winning culture kind of really take hold. Well, and it's interesting, you know, I, I saw your tweet about um, Bill Connolly's uh, post-game win mm, yeah. and uh, Kansas being a 98% chance, you know, when you look at, at the post-game to win. And you look at how frustrating that had to be from a player standpoint to, hey, we've dominated this game. We've been the better team. And yet here Duke has the ball on a final drive with with the chance to tie the game. You know, mm-hmm. you didn't put it away to the level that, that maybe you should have. And, and on one hand, you say, well, that's a negative. They didn't put it away the way that they should have. 
on the other hand, you look at it and say, well, okay, but then they bow up, the defense gets a stop, you know, and, and you wind up, you wind up winning that game. You respond yeah. to that adversity against West Virginia. You're up 11 points, you know, in the fourth quarter. And you say, okay, you should win this game. You should run away with this game. This game should be, should be done and dusted. And instead, you know, you wind up going to overtime. That part's not good. Mm-hmm. But the response, you know, exactly. where you go in, you score a touchdown, you have the Kobe Bryant interception to win that game. And, and I think that that's something that maybe we've seen to a level um, that maybe we didn't expect so far because a lot of times teams that aren't used to winning, yes. when, when when they have those issues, a lot of times they need the big wins to get there because they don't understand how to close things out. They don't understand when they get punched in the mouth, it's more, oh, here we go again, mm-hmm. as opposed to, you know, okay, this is fine. Let's, let's respond. And, and I, I think it was, was it Jalen Daniels who said, was asked about it and he said, okay, just go ball, you know, or, or whatever else he said. And I think for as many compliments as you could lay at Jalen Daniels' feet, and I'm sure we're going to get into Jalen Daniels, you know, more extensively here. I think one of the biggest things he's brought, you know, more than his ability to run, more than his ability to test the field at all levels with his arm, uh, I think is that leadership that, mm-hmm. that you know, confidence that he brings where it's okay but you know yes duke has the ball here but like why would duke score here you know and he doesn't even play defense but i think the entire team sort of builds off of that and everybody kind of you know buys into that and i think that you've got more players on defense who are believing that way that that they can make the play that they can make the stop i think that you know, you've certainly got guys on offense playing at or above a level that, you, you know, maybe even they thought possible. Uh, but but that ability to respond when you look at it, you say, my gosh, like, we've been the better team all game. Why is this still even a game? Mm-hmm. And, and still be able to say, well, it doesn't matter now, you know, one stop for the win, one score for the win, whatever, you know, let, let's go get this done. And, and they have. Yeah, and I think we've talked about this, right? Winning plays. And that's what this team has done so far this season is when the big moments have come, they've made winning plays. I mean, you can go through each game so far this season, right? Tennessee Tech, you know, winning plays great the whole first quarter. You know, that was you know, you blow that game out in the first quarter because of that. You go to West Virginia, it's Jacoby Bryant's pick pick six to win the game. You yeah. go to the Houston game, it's Kenny Logan's interception that really turns that tide, right? Because they're down yeah. You know, I think at that point maybe it was 14-7, and then in the span of 90 seconds, they flip it to its tide, and all of a sudden, KU doesn't look back. And I think you look yesterday, there are a lot of winning plays throughout the game. I think, again, we'll talk about Jalen Daniels in a second because I want to go and maybe clean something up that I said yesterday. But I think that you look at what this team has done, and they've made the winning plays when it's counted, but they still need to learn how to win. And or maybe close games out is probably a better way to say that. They they know how to win at this point, but how do you close games out to where this game ends 35-20 or 35-23? Um, and you look at the four-minute offense, right? That last drive, you know, Lance Leipold took a little bit of the the blame after the game, saying, you know, that's still really hard to do. You're trying to kind of thread the needle of 
we don't want to give them the ball back super fast, but we also don't want to like, you know, just risk the risk an interception, a fumble, things like that. So they kind of were very conservative and, and ended up allowing Duke to go and, you know, have that attempt. And you look at the last drive too, right? I think the pass interference call in there as well. You know, Lance was kind of like, you know, that's just kind of going to happen because if we're, we play soft and they score, you're going to come in here and ask me, well, why are you guys playing so soft? So I think a part of it is just as time goes on with this team, they're going to learn these different things. And I think you think about the progression of this program over the last year, it's been, it started out with baby steps, right? Going from, all right, win your first game against South Dakota. Okay, well now go play competitive half against Baylor. All right, go play a competitive three quarters against Oklahoma. Go play a full competitive game against Texas and win the game. And then go play full two length competitive games. And then now this season, it's about turning those competitive games into wins. And that's what they've done. And now the challenge is, can you turn those games when you were in control can you stay in control through the end of the game? Because so far this team has showed us that, hey, quarters two and three, they can play really, really well. You look at West Virginia, you look at Houston, you can even look yesterday, right? Score 14 points in the second quarter. They go into half with a good lead. And I think it's just the fourth quarter where I think as time goes on, as this team gets used to playing in these situations, that they will learn how to take that next step and and control games late on, which – when you look at the teams that go and play in the big bowl games or teams that go play in bowl games, period, they know how to do that. They don't let games slip late on when they're in control. And that's why the postgame win expectancy stuff is so interesting because there are times when teams lose games when the win expectancy says they should have won. You know, sure. again, I keep, I always go back to Iowa State because my experience there, but you look at last year with that Iowa State team, so, so many times they won the post-game win expectancy, but they found ways to lose. And this team is not finding ways to lose right now. They let it slip a little bit, but they're able to make those winning plays in the end, which I think is still just such a big deal when you think about the tra- trajectory of the program. Yeah, I think so too. And uh, it's funny because, you know, Kansas had kind of broken out before this under Mangino in that, you know, they went to the Tangerine Bowl in 03, in 05, they wind up going to the Fort Worth Bowl and, and winning their first bowl game under Mandino. And then 2006 hits, and they have a pretty good offensive team built around, you know, a run first quarterback, at least at that time, and Kerry Meyer. And they had an offensive line that all of a sudden, for the first time at Kansas, was really starting to come together a little mm. bit. You had the Big 12's best running back in, in John Cornish. And so they got up or put themselves in positions to win a lot of times that year. And it was, they were guys that had been around the previous year, a lot of them and everything, but the defense struggled and, and they wound up losing a a lot of games where you looked at, Hey, you know, you, you should have won this game. And and I tell people quite a bit, you know, the, the 2004 season was a little bit that way, but it was more related to like depth or whatever, like that they would just get tired out. Mm. They, would, they would be in games and they would wear out. But like 2006 could have been 2007. And I'm not saying they would have gone to the Orange Bowl and, and all of those things, but I'm saying that could have been that 9-10 win, you know, breakout season where everybody says, my gosh, like Kansas has been a fun story prior to this, but, you know, this is this is a really good team. They just won double-digit games. And they didn't. They went six and six because they dropped a lot of games like the couple that that we're talking about where, you know, they had themselves in position to win and and they didn't. And so they wound up they wound up being roughly a 500 team the next year. 
the Orange Bowl team was was in several close games. They won those games. That was the difference between the two. Obviously, you know, having Todd Reesing, you know, be your full time quarterback was a big part of that. But that that was the big thing. They were in close games where K State had the ball on a final possession in Manhattan, and if they score, K State wins that game. You know, there were similar games against Colorado, Texas A and M. You know there were those spots for them to trip up and, and they were able to find ways to win, even in less than ideal situations. Mm. I think that's the really positive trait that this team's showing so far. Yeah, I think so. And I think we should probably talk about Jalen Daniels because yeah. I think it's the, the saying that a rising tide lift all lifts all boats. And I think that's the case with, the offense with Jalen Daniels, not saying that KU wouldn't have as good of an offense with Jason Bean at quarterback, but Jalen Daniels is a dude. And so, Damn. you know, yesterday, Caroline Soro, who does video stuff with us, you can also see that on the YouTube channel. You know, she and I did a video and I kind of misspoke in the moment and said that Jalen's playing like one of the best quarterbacks or arguably one of the best quarterbacks in the conference. That's a no duh. We've talked about that in the podcast before, right? It, sure. It's the country. It's the country is where we should be going right now. And let's go here. I'll, I'll read off some stats for you real quick. And then I'll get your opinion on Jalen and what maybe has stood out. Um, all right. Four games in now, he's completing 71% of his passes for 9.6 yards per attempt, 11 touchdowns, one interception. And that interception was that YOLO throw against Tennessee Tech when he knew it was a bad throw to begin with, and he still threw it. Yeah. In games that have mattered, Jalen Daniels has not turned the ball over. And I'm sure we'll talk about the running backs later and their issues with holding on to the ball. But, okay, let's go nationally now. We talked about the QBR last week yep. and how Jalen Daniels, in terms of total QBR in the history of college football, as of last week, was the best quarterback of all time. Um, I haven't seen the new number, but what I will say is if you want to look nationally at EPA, which is kind of the estimated points added, that's a really good metric to look at. You know, someone like Jalen Daniels is right there at the top. 49.5 EPA, seven points away from the next person. I think that's a huge metric. I think if you're going to look at other players that are some of the best quarterbacks in college football right now, obviously Caleb Williams for US, USC is a, is great. Like yeah. I had a little bit of that game on last night I was watching, and like he is incredible. He's probably up there too. I think, you know, CJ Stroud from Ohio State, up there too, up there. But I think you're talking about Jalen Daniels playing on a level that is similar to what these guys are doing. And I'd argue that their impact on the offense is not as great as Jalen Daniels because Ohio State has a bunch of five stars running around <laughs> and USC has the Balintikoff winner from last year running around and then some other dudes, right? So Jalen Daniels has, and again, no offense to K's wide receivers, but they are not as purely talented as some of those other quarterbacks have. And so I think for me, you look at Jalen Daniels and it is Heisman talk, Go for it. I'm here for it. It should be, right? Yeah. If you want to look at the Heisman, what is the Heisman Trophy? You know, the best player in college football, the guy that has the most impact. I don't think there's a player that has impacted winning more in college football than Jalen Daniels this season. Yeah, and I think Daniels is now – he's still leading the nation, but I think that he's behind a former Alabama quarterback in terms of since the metric has started. Maybe Tua. Oh, like yeah. In terms of like the yeah. first like four games yeah. or whatever yeah. uh, of a season. And so it's uh, he's still up there. And so, uh, and Jalen's second, like behind. Yeah. And like I said, I think it's it's Tua. So, so yeah, you look at that and, and it's, you know, 
that puts it in some historical context. But like you said, you know, it's fun. I like the way you put that because I feel like looking into NFL draft stuff, right? It feels like a lot of teams draft these quarterbacks who have basically gone their whole career throwing to wide open receivers. Sweet receivers. And, and, And when you look at why the Chiefs took Patrick Mahomes, the story is that they scouted him against LSU. And it wasn't perfect. I think Mahomes completed like 50% of his passes, but he threw for like a gajillion yards and Mm. the offense had a lot of success. And they basically said, other than maybe Jakeem Grant out there, like his offense was overmatched at, you know, nine other positions on the football field. And he was still able to do that. And I'm not saying that KU's offense has been that overmatched because Kansas hasn't played those kinds of teams just yet. But I do think that the thing that's that's similar there is Jalen's ability to to really elevate the guys around him. You know, I, I think of the really great catch that that Quentin Skinner made um, over near the goal line uh, mm-hmm. yesterday in the fourth quarter, and it was a it was a play where you looked at it and you were like, man, that was a great catch. He was kind of tilting back like that. But if you watch the replay, Skinner lost the guy behind him with a great cut mm-hmm. and the safety was coming down and Daniels put it kind of in the one spot where it was a perfect throw in order to make that completion because you put it behind him, the guy back here who's still trying to turn and everything, he's not going to get there in time. You put it on him or in front of him, that safety is going to have a chance to make a play. And so it, it's not even that, you know, we've all seen what he can do with his legs, the way he can extend Mm. plays, the role he plays, you know, as, as arguably Kansas's best runner, including that running backs group. Um, But you look at the precision that he's throwing the ball with, Uh, you know, he had the, the throw in the corner of the end zone to Luke Graham. That was just absurd. I mean, that's, that's one of the best throws you'll, you'll see all year. You look at that throw to Skinner. You look at some of the other throws. If you took away his legs and, and his ability to run, if you basically said, hey, Michael, this is a grade school game. Like, we can blitz <laughs> Mississippi, but you can't run. You have to stand here and throw. Daniels is still throwing with the kind of precision yeah. that you would want a pure pocket guy to throw the ball with. And, mm-hmm. and that elevates that receiver group. And, and by the way, I mean – those guys are playing really good football right sure. now, better than better than probably any of us thought heading into the season. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, you didn't even mention the Lawrence Arnold throw. No, like, no. He splits the two defenders. Like, yeah. I, I just, I, there are so many throws that are like seven on seven throws, right? Yeah. Where like you're thinking like, all right, there's no rush. Like he's got time to th- survey, but you have to be very precise in seven on seven a lot of times. And he's good in those situations. Right. There are some quarterbacks that are really good in seven on seven, like Kirk Cousins, right? In the NFL, right? You think about Kirk Cousins, like you give him time to throw. Sure. He can make good throws under pressure. Yeah. When Jalen's under pressure, he's still pretty dang good. Like the yep. number before the Houston game, I think, you know, were pretty impressive where I think he was almost better under pressure than he was clean. Um, I'd have to go look back and, and see what he has at now with those PFF numbers. But I think you look at him and the throws that he makes and there's just flashes where you just see 
Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply the pure talent that he has and it's not luck because he's doing it consistently right we're losing track of how many incredible throws he has within a game and we've well, talked the, about the, the, deep, the deep out was that to skinner that he hit on the deep out like the 15 yard out across the field oh i think so or maybe it was grim i can't remember yeah but i mean that was that was one where he made that throw and it's not going to show up on any highlight mm-hmm. you know like on Sports Center or anything like that. But you always talk about the NFL quarter the NFL quarterback coaches, coordinators, defensive coordinators, they talk about the throw that we watch is the ability to make that deep out because if you can make that throw, you know, defenses are are going to have to fear you because mm-hmm. it seems like your receiver is taking off, the cornerback is, you know, he's in full bail trying to get downfield and your receiver just kind of breaks out his route and you can put it on him, you know, that far downfield, you know, that's, that's the throw that's quote unquote, the ultimate test in terms of whether a quarterback has that kind of arm strength and, and Daniels made that throw. And like you were saying, was that what his fifth best throw yesterday? Seventh. Six. I mean, it's, it, it, it's, it, it's crazy to think about just the, the sheer, arm talent he has, but also, you know, the, the accuracy that he's throwing with right now, the confidence that he has in the players around him and the way that he raises all those guys up as well. Yeah, exactly. And so he's super impressive. And I think that the offensive line didn't have its best game yesterday and that's fine. Yep. One in four games, the offensive line doesn't have a great game. It's fine. It can happen. I think Duke brought a lot of pressure yep. and I, maybe I'll use it as, as a transition talk about Daniel Hyshaw, but you know, that Daniel Hyshaw throw what came because they attacked the blitz, right? The guy blitzes yep. from the same side as Hyshaw's on, and he goes to the flat, and Daniel's immediately, as soon as he sees that blitz, he knows his man coverage everywhere else. The safety on the, the far side of the field has to come across to go get to Hyshaw, and he knows immediately, as soon as the ball snapped, I'm going to him. And yep. I think that's some of the stuff, too, that the reading and the ability to know the offense and know where he's going with the ball and what his progression is going to be when the ball is snapped. Really impressive. Offensive line, good in the run game, I thought, again. I yep. think pass pro, I think they've been really good in pass pro this year, but I think this is the first game where maybe someone like Earl Bostic didn't have his best game, and it's all right. You know, I think that there are things that Duke did to try and put those guys under pressure, and it's okay. But I think for me, who for you, Kevin, if you had to guess – Leads KU in all-purpose yards this season. Ooh. 
Just go just going off your uh your tip from earlier, I'm going to I'm going to guess Daniel Highshaw. And I, I think that, you know, he, the way he's run the ball, you know, he's obviously among KU's top runners, but mm-hmm. I think too, you know, adding in, you know, a seventy plus yard touchdown catch doesn't hurt in the in the receiving game either. No, it doesn't. Yeah, I probably should I give it away. Well, <laughs> I would have I stumped you. I, I would have stumped you. Yeah, if, probably. I, you know, I might have gone with with Devin Neal because I, I, you know, Devin's made a couple plays in the mm-hmm. in the passing game as well. But sure uh, yeah, I mean, that was that was a heck of a every part of that was play was really impressive. I mean, the fact that Jalen Daniels identified the blitz, got it out of there so quickly to High Shaw in space, and then. Obviously, what Highshaw did after the catch was was absurd. I mean, that guy is I I myself, Michael Swain, would not like to tackle Daniel Highshaw. No. And I want that put on the record. Yeah, same. And he comes into the postgame press conference after, and he's my favorite guy to talk to. I I've quickly realized he's like for basketball, Christian Brown. If I needed a good <laughs> quote or wanted a really juicy kind of nugget from someone, I'd go to Christian. For football, if I see Daniel Highshot, I'm going right to him, and I'm going to go camp there for four <laughs> or five minutes and just hang out because he's hilarious. Um, I asked him about the run. I tweeted out, oh, it's kind of like the Beast Quake from Marshawn Lynch. Yeah. He was like – I asked him about it. He's like, ah, oh, no, I need to break a few more tackles to make that happen. But, oh, you know, it, it was pretty good. And then, you know, someone else asked him, you know, do you ever dream of – going on a run like that. And he's like, well, I dream of a lot of things. I've dreamt of going to the moon. And I'm just like, what? <laughs> so this is a guy that is incredibly good at football, is charismatic. It, yeah. It's just one of these things that you, you look at his trajectory, right, going into the season. Um, and I'm kind of tipping the story all right on the website on Sunday today. But um, going into the season, right, a lot of the talk is, hey, three former four-star recruits. And when Devin Neal gets hurt yesterday – Daniel Hyshaw is the one that's getting the carries and he's been the number two running back all season. And I think it's been incredibly impressive. I think that run, the catch and run was impressive. I think his running is really impressive. He's the type of guy that I think going into big 12 play, you go up against faster players. I think Daniel Hyshaw will be able to handle that. You go up against bigger players like Iowa state this week, that linebacking core is a bunch of Mike linebackers. I think Daniel Hyshaw will be able to hold the zone against that group. I think for me, you look at someone who has been like, outside of Jalen Daniels, because he's in a, he's in a world of his own right now, but of the players that going in before fall camp even started between let's say big 12 media days. And now who are the guys that impressed you the most? Daniel Highshot is number one for me. Yeah. And if you, <clears throat> if you poured some truth serum down the KU coaches throats, you know, and asked them and said, Hey, since, since the start of camp, who's been your best running back? I'm not sure all of them would say Devin Neal. I, I think some would probably say Daniel Highshaw, and that's not a knock on on Devin Neal at all. You know, we he's been we love Devin, talk to him as a recruit, you know, and and everything else, and he he has so much ability. I I think that that says a lot about not just the way that Highshaw is playing, but and, and I know you're tired of me bringing this up every single podcast, but. When you asked Leipold the question about guys oh, getting recruited over and how they responded, did you not have Daniel Hyshaw in mind? Like as a guy who, you know, saw, hey, you're bringing in Kai Thomas. Hey, you're bringing in Savion Morrison. That's great, but they're going to have to beat me out. Mm-hmm. And, and and I think that Hyshaw, you know, you you look at him, you look at Taiwan Berryhill, you look at some of these other guys 
who responded really well kind of that challenge. But I, but I think, you know, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, I think Hyshaw was one of the guys that, you know, probably led to that question with you saying, hey, this is this is a guy that everybody talked all spring like, man, KU's got three former four-star running backs, two of them in, coming in by transfer. Kai Thomas ran for over 800 yards, you know, at Minnesota, mm-hmm. you know, and, and all these different things. And it would have been very easy for, for Highshaw to get disillusioned or to feel like, you know what, like that's, you know, here I am working and, and they're bringing in other guys. And, and instead, you know, he really raised and elevated yeah. his game and, and kudos to that kid for doing that. Yeah, exactly. Right. And I think that at that point, you know, I asked the question, right. It was after you started to hear stuff about Daniel Highshaw, which is why it sparked it. Right. Cause at the time it was Tyler Berryhill and Highshaw who were the guys that were impressing. And I think you look at the running backs, right. I think it's been pretty good so far. I think the fumbles are a little concerning though. Yeah. A little concerning. I think you're six now for the season. They've recovered three because Daniel Highshaw hit the boost button on a couple. <laughs> um, and I think, Devin maybe recovered one or Sevion. I know Sevion lost one. Devin has lost one now. And there's one more I'm missing. Um, I it just gives you something to coach. And then maybe this brings me to another point I want to talk about with you, Kevin. We're looking at this Kansas team right now, 4-0, and they haven't played a perfect game. Yep. They haven't. Because you look yesterday, I, I think that you could easily make the argument that yeah, like Jalen was perfect. I think the wide receivers were pretty close to perfect. The defense wasn't perfect. The game management wasn't perfect. The running backs really weren't perfect. Um, offensive line wasn't perfect. And so I think you're now looking at this team where they're 4-0. You get the, the added pep in your step of being undefeated, 4-0, first time since 2009. But these coaches can also go ride these guys in practice and continue to hit on some of those drills and the fundamentals and the different things that, you know, Andy Koldernecki and Brian Borland and Lance Leipold, the things they talk about where it's like, hey, we're going to continue to hammer away at these fundamental things and do the mundane things well so that when games come, we're ready to go. And so I think it's just a perfect spot for a coaching staff to be in where everyone's got the motivation, they're undefeated, they feel good about themselves, but there's also so much that they can work on. And I think it's so encouraging that you're at this point in the season and you can say that, hey, KU hasn't played the perfect game yet. Yep. Yeah, for sure. And, and I, I think back to a moment last year um, after Kansas beat Texas and, you know, Leipold and Logan are kind of embracing or whatever. And, and Leipold said something to Logan, like, okay, you know, the work continues mm-hmm. or the work even ramps up from this point. Like, you know, this, this was a good win, you know, let's, let's enjoy this, but we've got a lot of things to clean up like that, even beating Texas and Austin, you know, that wasn't a perfect game. And there are things that are going to show up on tape that we need to get better at. And there are things that we need to do in the weight room this off season mm-hmm. to get better at. And there are all these different things. And, and so it's funny, I think, was it week two that we got the question, Michael, from a fan who basically asked if KU was going to continue to get better Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. it was. Year, um, and, and you know, both of us felt like, yeah, <laughs> I mean, K- Kansas is going to get better, and, and I think that some of that is the fact that, like you said, it's not that KU. I, I don't want to say KU's not playing at a high level right now because obviously they are, but 
there's high level and there's basically this flawless level that you're trying to get to. Mm -hmm. And I think that this is a staff that as well as, as any that, that I've been around, they do a really good job of it's Saturday night. Enjoy the win that this brought. You worked really hard to get here. You did so many good things. And then on Sunday, come into the football complex and let's look at the things that, if we were playing somebody else, maybe this maybe this mm-hmm. lost us the game. And yes. you know, we were talking about that against Tennessee Tech, where we said these, you know, on some of those big plays, you know, maybe a, an offensive lineman didn't get his angle right. Maybe you know this happened or that happened, but it was Tennessee Tech, and so you weren't necessarily going to get burned by that. The competition has continued to step up, and mm-hmm. so Kansas has seen, hey, when you take a bad angle on a wide receiver screen to a guy like Bryce Ford Wheaton, you know, you can, you can give up a really long touchdown and, mm-hmm. and that could put you in position potentially to lose a game. You, you find out, you know, some of the ways that Houston w- was able to move the ball and, and it's not all on the defense. I mean, there are things offensively as well and teaching points there, you know, but, but I think that, that's one of those things that this staff is really good at is, is kind of saying, okay, it's, it's great that you won. We're happy to see that your hard work paid off. But having said that we can still get better. Let's keep getting better. And, and I think that that's also the thing that you look at, you know, for the future. And, and obviously people want to look at, at coaching searches and things like that, but as we project and, and look on it and say, okay, if this staff is is still at Kansas here two years from now, three years from now, this thing gets righted. Because let's be honest, Michael, before the season started, I think both of us felt like next year would be the year For that sure. Kansas would take the leap, that they would be a bowl team, that, that these things would happen. I think that those are the reasons to be positive as this program continues to grow and everything is, is the fact that Kansas could win 10 games in a season and Leipold and the staff are still going to be the guys who are going to be there after each win, after each loss saying, okay, but here's where we need to get better. Like here's where we're at. Here's where we need to be. Here's how we can close that group. And I think that that bodes really well. Yeah, and I, I want to hit on two things there. Um, maybe sure. get the future staff stuff at the end, but in terms of the improvement, I think defense, right? You look at the defense and you continue to say, hey, they're doing enough to win games, right? You're getting enough stops to win games. It's not perfect, but I'll tell you what, I've kind of been a little bit, maybe even impressed. Look at the, like, Kevin, listen to this. They're allowing 3.6 yards of carry. That's it. That's good. And I think that you look last year, right? They've cut last year's number in half. They were over six yards of carry last season. And now they're at 3.6. And I think teams are still able to gash them at times through the air. I think the things we've talked about, right, with the cornerbacks and the defensive backs, you know, not being great. I I hate to say it, but I just don't think Kenny Logan's been great so far this year. I just think maybe a step off. But you look at the defense, and it's kind of a bend-don't-break mentality almost where you look yep. at the the drives yesterday and you know duke's able to move the ball thanks to some penalties and a, a big play here or so and so but when they get in the red zone the defense kind of is able to firm up and then they force two field goals there you know 
yep. look at what they did, right? The two field goals in the first half, and then they force um, – what is it? Uh, a punt and then turnover downs in the end. And, like, you're getting enough stops to win a game. I think it's the bend-don't-break mentality that is fascinating. And this brings me to another thing. KU has been out time of possession, if that's how you want to say it, <laughs> three times this season. They're 3-0 and in those games. I would not have thought that going into the season that yep. we knew that K was going to try and be physical and run the ball and try and be multiple on offense. We talked about that. I thought they'd try and control the clock more. It's also kind of hard to control the clock when you have so many explosive plays every, you know, sure. every few downs. Right. But that for me is super impressive. The fact that K was not really controlling the clock that much, but I think a part of that is because they're scoring so fast on offense. And then the defense is forcing the other team to take the long road. Right, yep. why they went for fourth down when it was fourth and one at the goal line? They're going to force Duke to go ninety nine yards. Try, yeah. If you can, you kind of hang your hat and you say, "All right, you know they they did it." You know, all right, well, we'll not do that next time. But I think there's enough confidence in the defense right now. Maybe not enforcing a three and out, but maybe they get to midfield and then they sputter out. You know, things like that that I think are you look for the margins of improvement. There's still a lot to improve on defense, but I think there's enough there where you feel okay about it and you're going to get more tests to come right in the weeks and, and months to come here but i think for right now room for improvement offensively it's like all right can you take care of the ball defensively it's like hey can you really continue to take steps forward each week yeah and i think defensively that's why the explosive plays that we've seen stand out so much mm-hmm. right is because yeah. you're like oh man like that's allowing a wide receiver screen to go for, you know, a huge gain or or a touchdown. And you say, that's a missed opportunity, you know, and it's not even necessarily that West Virginia wouldn't have gone down and scored anyway, or that Houston wouldn't have gone down and and scored anyway. But with the way that that they played defense and kind of, we're going to keep things in front of us. We're going to find a way to, to make them stretch these drives out we're going to put them in a spot where they have to execute more often. And and I think, you know, that was, that's the thing about it is, you know, if you have a three play 75 yard drive, you didn't have to execute very often. Mm -hmm. You have a 15 play 75 yard drive. You had to execute over and over again, and you probably faced multiple third downs and, you know, places where you could have been tripped up. And I think one of the places where this defense can get better, um, in in addition to limiting those explosive plays to make teams get into those situations more often, is just getting the stop or getting the one play on that third down or on that fourth down Mm -hmm. a little bit more often. And if that happens, I'm not saying Kansas is going to have one of the nation's best defenses. I'm not saying it's even going to be a top half defense in the big 12. What I am saying is that if Kansas can hold the other team to 25 points or so, Kansas is going to win a lot of football games this year. And with, with how good that offense is, And I think that the offense, the way that it's playing, and you look at the defenses across the Big 12, I think Kansas has the offensive personnel, the the strategy, the the playmaking, the the play calling by by Andy Kotelnicki to score on on just about everybody on that schedule. I mean, who – 
who stops him from getting to 30? I, I don't know who no, does. Nobody, nobody. And, and, I, and, I, and I'm not saying it won't happen, you know, once or twice, that they won't score 28 against Oklahoma State or something like that. But at the same time, Kansas' offense is at a spot where I feel like you feel pretty darn good going into games that that they're going to put up some points. And so the defense doesn't necessarily have to be perfect. They just need to generate those one or two extra stops a game and all of a sudden, you know, Kansas has a real, real breakout season, not just a six-win season, not just a bowl-win season, but the sort of season where you're kind of like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe Kansas just did this. Yeah, and I'll be interested to see what happens over the next kind of week or so as we go into the Iowa State game because now we're getting a Big 12 play. More eyeballs in general, right? You get into yep. the conference matchups and people watch – Interested to see what maybe the discourse is. You know, I know what it will be locally because I think all of us are, you know, whether it be on the beat or KU fans in general, everyone's pretty in tune and pretty in touch. Just interested to see what it is nationally because I think it's been a little bit of, all right, you've done this, but we want more before you get some more national recognition just as a team, right? They're getting enough as, hey, maybe it's a, you know, they're heading in the right direction, a bowl team. I think this is a team that, again, what you've seen so far and like what you said right there, Kevin. If you're able to score 30 points on just about any team in the Big 12, it's going to come down to can that defense force a turnover? Can they get a stop when they need to? And so we'll see. But I think this is a team that can make a bowl. If they don't make a bowl, I think you're looking at it being a little bit of a disappointment just considering what's happened, right? Yep. Your home games against Iowa State, TCU. Texas Tech's been good, and yep. Jordan McGuire's done a good job there. They're good. K-State – beat Oklahoma yesterday. I still watch that team and I just shrug. I, I don't know. It's, yeah. it's the Adrian Martinez effect maybe. So you're looking at it, right? We've talked about coin flip games and we're into the part of the schedule now where every weekend it's just going to be, boom, flip a coin. How'd the game go? Because they're going to be in, I think, just about every game. So before we get out of here, let's talk a little bit about Lance. Um, he was there a national show he didn't do this week? <laughs> um, I think I think it's great for the program, obviously, to get that national attention. Sure. Um, with that comes a lot of the questions, right? The national people have no issue asking him about, hey, job rumors. And Nebraska wasn't mentioned specifically, but I think anyone that pays attention to stuff knows the job that's being talked about is Nebraska. I thought Lance's answers were very interesting this week, and I don't know if you've seen them all, Kevin, but basically kind of the gist of all of his answers was, hey, you know, we don't expect to move and we've, we, you know, we came to Lawrence to be here for a long time. I he's saying the right things, but also what do you expect him to say to some degree? Maybe that's me being cynical and maybe I'm being really cynical and maybe he will be here for a long time, but you're not going to come out and say, yeah, you know, maybe I'll move. Right. You don't say that. And so I think for me, it's interesting. I think it's interesting that he's come out and been a little bit more firm then I think you maybe have seen some coaches in the past when asked about other jobs, right? You know, he's talked about, you know, enjoying Lawrence and wanting to build a winner and how Buffalo and Kansas are similar where people maybe glance over them as programs, but they're places where you can win. And I feel like there's a point here where is it worth it? And I want your opinion here too, because from my perspective, the support you get at Kansas will not be as much as Nebraska. It just won't. Nebraska will be able to pay their head football coach so much money, so much money in the assistance. Financially, it is a more lucrative job at Nebraska. In terms of the fan support and expectations, 
you can go five and seven, six and six, or sorry, seven and five, six and six until the end of time. And they will build Lance Leipold, a statue right next to Gale Sayers outside the football complex. That is different than at Nebraska. And at KU, there's not the pressure to recruit at an incredibly high level. There will be that pressure at Nebraska. And we've talked enough about recruiting. I don't want to go down that rabbit hole again, but it's something that we still need to see from this staff in terms of can you pull in the high school recruits. So for me, I think that right now you look at the jobs and it seems like Kansas is a really good fit for Lance Leipold, what he wants to do with the program and how he wants to do a program. And I think Travis Goff deserves a ton of credit for giving him the power to do that because I think at other schools, there's more influence, whether it be from boosters, donors, the athletic director, there's more influence. And I think at Kansas, Lance has the opportunity to do that. And it's like what Mark Mangino said to Dennis Dodd of CBS Sports. If you win at Kansas, they will crawl on nails for you. And I think that if anyone knows that, it is Mark Mangino. And so yeah. I think it's a very fascinating time for Kansas. I think as they win more, it becomes a question of, do you want to go try and do what you just did over the last 18 months at Nebraska? Or do you want to try and keep this thing rolling here? I don't know. I'm not Lance Apple. I can't answer that question, but it's just what, how I think about this heading into kind of the, the heart of the season now. Sure. And, and taking, you know, kind of a cynical viewpoint, how many times do we hear that a coach is this hot up and coming guy? He's got, you know, different jobs that he could go and get if, if he wants them. He decides to stay put. He eventually would maybe even like to move up. But at that point, the moment's gone right? Like the, the opportunity's gone. Those jobs aren't there anymore. Um, and, and you've, you've kind of miss, missed your, your spot and, and coaching searches. A lot of times there's something to that saying, you know, you strike when the iron's hot, when, mm-hmm. when you're, when your iron is hot, you know, as a coach and when everybody's talking about you and saying, my gosh, you know, have you seen the job that, that Lance Leipold has done at Kansas? And, and it's funny because, Let's say Kansas goes seven and five this year, you know, goes to a bowl. And let's say that's about the level that Lance Leipold has Kansas at over the next five or six years. Is Lance Leipold's star going to be as bright outside of Lawrence, Kansas Hmm. in six years as it is this year when everybody says, look at what he took. And because at that point, after six years, let's say the Nebraska job comes open again, you're looking at some people saying, well, is he ever going to get them to be significantly better than seven and five? If we want to compete for a national title, is this our guy? Like, does he, does he have that in him? And I know you're, you're laughing. Nebraska is a long ways away from that spot, but I'm just saying like, if you're with a fan base that has those kinds of expectations and or hopes, you know, they see a difference between a guy who is perpetually, you know, seven and five. He's a good coach, but if we want to be at 10 and two, then, you know, they would want to go get that guy. And, I, and I'm not saying Leipold should leave. I just find that whole thing very interesting because I 100% agree with him that, you know, and, and believe him when he says that he came to Kansas to be here for a long time. Mm-hmm. I think if you talk to certain staff members and to use the expression I used earlier, you know, poured truth serum down their throats. I don't know that a lot of them thought they'd be in this spot, you know, four games into year two, 
that they would be four and zero and have you know the program being a major talking point and and everybody you know I, I think things have have happened rather quickly in, in that sure. regard. Um, I think they thought that they were in for for a longer haul type build and, and everything else. And I, I think too, you know, Michael, we've had conversations with with Lance Leipold. We've seen him at camps, you know, in different things and talked to him. And I feel like he's a person who is where his feet are. For sure. And, and I think that that's something that maybe hasn't gotten looked at a, a whole lot with this is you have to look at the type of person they are. I've heard, and not to talk Nebraska too much on a Kansas podcast, but there are some Nebraska fans who feel like Dave Aranda would, would go there from Baylor. And to me, everything I've ever heard about Dave Aranda is that he's the type of person that Nebraska's pitch would just bounce off of him. Like he's got a force field around him, right? Like he's, he's a man of, of faith and Baylor allows him to be that man. For sure. Baylor allows him to recruit, you know, in like a three hour radius of Baylor and still okay. have some work life balance. You know, there, there are different things there that make jobs intriguing beyond, you know, Hey, this school is going to pay me this much. Yeah, money exactly. or whatever else. Exactly. And, and I do think, Lance Leipold is an excellent cultural fit at Kansas. And that's something that's very hard to figure out through the coaching search and kudos to, to Travis Goff, you know, for, for conducting that coaching search and winding up with the final candidates he did and, and determining that, that Leipold was a strong cultural fit. But like I said, I, he does strike me as somebody who's very present. Like he's yeah, for sure. Where he's at is where he's at. And I'm not saying that he won't take the Nebraska job. I'm not saying he will. I just, I think that there's more to it than simply, Hey, this guy's from Nebraska. He coached in Nebraska. He will go to Nebraska if Nebraska asks. Uh, I think that Lance Leipold right now, as of this moment, you know, 11 o'clock central time, you know, in the state of Kansas, I think that Lance Leipold is the coach at the University of Kansas, and he is very much in tune with that role, and that's what he's doing. Yep, exactly. And with all things, they change. And I'm sure there's going to be, you know, we're what? Checks watch. Week four. (laughs) We've got eight more weeks of this to go. It flies by, though, man. It flies by. It does. I'll tell you what. It feels like just yesterday was September 2nd, but I guess that's part two. You cover – a really good football team. Kevin, I've not looked when late night is. I think yep. I did once, once since football season started. I don't really care. Yep. It'll, be here, it'll get here. We'll cover it. We'll do a great job with it. But right now, it's football season. And as always, we will keep doing these football podcasts on Sunday because I thoroughly enjoy them. And it seems like um, the fans out there are enjoying them too. And if you are, make sure you are subscribing to the the Kansas 24-7 Sports YouTube channel, The Fog. Um, continue to do a lot of YouTube content, whether it be this podcast, Caroline, um, Sora will be doing a lot more videos with us on the YouTube. Make sure you're following that. If you're listening to this on the podcast platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, please leave a rating and review. Um, It definitely helps us out and goes a long way. And also make sure you're subscribed to the feed so you can get this podcast right on your device as soon as it comes out. Every Sunday, we'll be back on 
Tuesday night, I think, is when Nick Oson, our 24-7 sports Iowa State guy, um, the guy I handed the reins off to after my time yeah. at Iowa State, yeah. we will be doing a podcast on uh, yeah Tuesday, I want to say. So stay tuned for that. Obviously, Iowa State this weekend. Kevin, have a good week. Thanks again. Thanks again, Michael. See you guys later. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts. This is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. We expected someone else. So what exactly is the show about? Hmm, I don't know. It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball. And baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language, pitchers and catchers. We have some of the best voices come on and explain what matters or what makes an upset, like Ryan does, (laughs) nine over eight. No, that's not an upset. No, yeah, it is, Bob. And if you're lucky, I might just tell you about my search for discounted sleep pants or my worries about what my dog just ate. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.